change is real, and the house of the undying has no turrets. Also, it's real, I think. Now I'm convinced. I'm officially convinced, Micah. You've made me a believing man. It was What's real? Magic? Magic is real. Houses that don't die are real. And <laughs> blue lips and blue trees, they're all real. Everything is real. Well, I think it's an important uh, added word there, the house of the undying ones. You know, it makes it seem like the ones who don't die reside in it as opposed to the house itself being undead. Right. But, I mean, we could, we could everything. have both. We could have a living house, like Monster House, where the spirit of the, the old man's, like, you know, wife was just or, trying or the to burbs. get back in touch with him. Or, you know, something, or in the burbs, exactly. And actually, <laughs> Selena is not with us uh, on our Monday episode because we we sent her off to the House of the Undying. And she reported back with some really crazy shit that we're going to talk about on this show. I'm going to say, scared. apparently she didn't get the memo to only take the rightmost door. I know. She got distracted somewhere in the left or middle Somewhere, something. Yeah. Maybe she was distracted by, like, camel balls. Like, she opened one of the doors and it was, like, those, um, like, like a candy shop and they were selling camel balls. Because I know we send her out on camel ball runs all the time, it being a thing that only she can get and, and send to us. And, you know, maybe she just got distracted and said, oh, I'm going to get these for the guys. They'll appreciate it. And, you know, of course, it wasn't the rightmost door, so. You know what it was is she has a thing for dwarves, so when she saw that little guy <laughs> wow. standing at the front door, she yeah. uh, she got taken by the hand, and uh, well, we really don't know. We we got intermittent text messages, so apparently her cell service works within the House of the Undying. They have a, uh, yeah, a tower, actually. Verizon uh, beat out AT&T. They put a tower right in the middle of that thing. Um, that's what it was. I thought I felt radiation. That's why I get shitty service. Is that what you're saying? Because they have <laughs> some of the, some of the walls, there. some of the walls are lead lined, and they don't receive go. signal very well. Well, what I think it was, I think that she walked through a door that showed everybody piled in for our live show. Or wait, no, never mind. I'm gonna stop. I'm gonna stop right there. The future oh, is too much to talk about. I was going to say that could have been <laughs> a vision of of what of things to come. Yep. Yeah, we'll just stop that there because there's more months to display news proudly. No one wants to hear everything. Did you say right more now. months? Yes, <laughs> I said there's more months. Today is Danny's day. All right, this is Danny's chapter. This is Danny's day. Enough about us. Who cares about us? We're Game of Thrones, a podcast you listen to with your ear holes. That's true. And I'm Eric Skull. Yeah, and I'm Zach. Hello. And I'm Micah. Hello. We're here. Let's talk about Danny. <laughs> Daenerys. <laughs> Daenerys Stormborn. Because her chapter, guys. This is. Not only is this like sort of a memorable moment for the the season, but completely different from said television show um, for obvious and, reasons, and stands out in the book. You know, I wanted to mention that because there's, you know, she goes into these rooms. She's in the House of the Undying. She sees a lot of things that either were once or will be. Um, notably, I mean, I, I I don't think we're spoiling anything by saying she she does kind of glimpse what appears to be either the the current or the aftermath of the Red Wedding. But, I mean, do you think, like, the reason that it was different in the show, just to poke ahead here, is that, you know, they obviously didn't want to cast or 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 basically ruin that that scene or, or didn't want to be bound by having to dress the setup exactly the same way in season two as they did in, you know, first season three. Um, what do you guys think? Why is it different? That's a tough call. I mean, for me, I just feel like I need to just go out Right ahead and say that this chapter, um, you know, the book's been much different from the show, and that's expected. You know, everyone knows that. Everyone who listens to to this podcast, we all know that. We're all like in a club together, and the people who casually watch the show and may not read the books, they can still enjoy it and have their flavor. But man, this chapter is incredible. The imagery in it is incredible, and every single thing inside of this chapter never happened in the show. And for that. I am infinitely pissed, just the same <laughs> as the infinite ranks of you guys online. This, like, now, now we're in a club together, and I hate it with you, with <laughs> hatred. I'm pumping my fist in front of me. I'm so angry. There are veins sticking out. To answer Eric's question, though, I think and the Red Wedding is a perfect example of that. You couldn't have included these types of moments in Season 2 because I feel like it would give away too much as to what was to come. And I think that there's a very, very smart base of people who watch these shows and they would be able to deduce certain things from certain scenes that take place within the house of the undying. And I agree with Zach. I, I mean, we were texting a little bit before we got on to record. And I remember I said something to you, Eric, about the chapter and, and just 
how much was in it, and you thought I was referring to how long the chapter was. <laughs> it's not about how long the chapter is. It's actually probably about a medium-sized chapter in terms of you know page-wise, but right. the content that is in this chapter is just so rich and so valuable to what is to come in this series. And I think you know, we could probably spend multiple episodes just going through all of this. Absolutely. I mean, I, I think when I when I when I look at this and I read this chapter, I see the challenges that the showrunners faced when trying to adapt this to a show. Like you said, hopefully not obviously spoiling the end or even giving any hints to where a smart audience could deduce, because especially with people making the official visual representation of what this is, because when you read it, it's almost like you really can't be sure because it's what you see and it's what you interpret. But when a show officially films it then you have like the pressed version of what it was meant to be and then a lot of the guesswork is gone so i think for all intents and purposes you know they did what they had to do and and they couldn't capture much of this but something like seeing you know the wolf head on the king inside of the dead room which obviously was the aftermath of the red wedding i feel like that could have been omitted you know just leave that part out and maybe visit some other things but yeah. you know they did what they did what they could but yeah. with that being said though Knowing that the showrunners had to exclude certain things from the TV show, what's the relevance of what they did include in the TV show? Well, yeah, that's what I wanted to talk about because it seems like the the scenes that were shown in the TV show were quite relevant, just to but to a different audience, to a different world, to the world of the TV series. You know, we got to see, for instance, Cal Drogo come back and give her some some advice, from what I recall, um, you know, or talk to her a little bit. And obviously, it was like an illusion. We knew that. But just the idea that spirits could communicate, you know, certain things did get conveyed from, you know, our watching into the TVs, into our reading here, or the other way around. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the the idea of Danny sitting the Iron Throne, but it's in in a future where the ceiling is caved in, you know, and there's snow and and everything, and where it shouldn't be, you know, it, it's it's kind of still prophetic, but it is something that's not written in the book. It's it's just something that it's so it plays with us. You know, and and kind of makes us think the same things the book did uh, about Danny's future and about the future of Westeros. And to get to Cal Drogo, she had to walk through the wall. If you remember, he was beyond the wall. He was. All right. Which I, I I understand that. And Eric, what you just said was pretty much it. I mean, they basically had to replace it with something else that was relevant enough that you know made sense inside of the same story arc the show is exuding. You know, with the book sort of set aside. But man, I read this and I'm just like, whew, if we would have got even a taste of this, this would have been up yeah. for best episode. Like, hands down, I mean, this this shit would have won some really massive awards because the amount of imagery, George did a really great job skipping on a lot of the small detail. Like, the amount of time she's in this place and the amount of, like, ground that she travels mm-hmm. is is insane when you think about how it's usually flavorful and rich like you can kind of see where everyone's going and you can understand within a scene how much time is passing but in this so much of that is just skipped he skips so much of like he describes the place when you get there a little bit in the beginning but once you're in you're in and everything is part of this vision and part of these things that she's seeing and it's so detail oriented considering the content but everything else can just get fucked essentially you know it really reminds me of like biblical trials or myth- mythological trials where you you hear somebody warn uh the main character such as um you know Pipe Pri who warned Danny uh not to enter any of the rooms that weren't you know the 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 farthest door on the right and she's being tempted to look um she's being tempted to go into room even even when they're like hey we're the you know we're the undying of Karth welcome come on in here we we want to give you all the answers we possibly can um, and her dragon goes into the room, but even still, she's like, mm, this is really appetizing, but there's a door to the right here and I, I should probably go through that one. And so, you know, it's, it's really all about the, the trials and the fact that she's able to, all of her senses are being, you know, played with here, manipulated to get her ultimately to where they want her to go. Um, but she's able to still kind of 
wade through it. And it's a mark of uh, a strong character, really, that she's able to have that, that fortitude despite what all of her senses are telling her. Before Danny enters, which she was instructed that she could only enter alone, even though she rode up with her pals, including uh, Sir, Mr., and uh, friendly Jorah Mormont, uh, Pyat Pri jumps out of the bushes. They're outside. There's trees with nightshade <laughs> growing. You know, it's a crumbly place. They see the stone. They see how it's not what it could have been. It's not what Danny expected it to be, being this sort of superpower in a place like Karth. Yes, he is. And she goes, let me slice you and take some of your nuts and or stick for my inventory. (laughs) (laughs) That's his old joke. But um, he he, he arms Danny with a specific set of directions that she can use to navigate this place, which I found interesting. And, And as we go along in the episode, may this also be your guide. He says, when you enter, you will find yourself in a room with four doors. The one you have come through and three others, take the door to your right each time the door to your right. If you should come upon a stairwell, climb, never go down, and never take any door but the first door to your right. And essentially, she's wondering how she gets out. And he says, leaving and coming, it is the same. Always up, always the door to your right. Other doors may be open to you. Within, you may see many things that will disturb you. Visions of loveliness and visions of horror Wonders and terrors, sights and sounds of days gone by and days to come and days that never were. Dwellers and servitors may speak to you as you go, answer or ignore them as you choose, but enter no room until you reach the audience chamber. Ooh. So cryptic. Spooky. It really is. So let's go through. I thought the best way to kind of pick apart this chapter is to kind of go through all the different things that she sees. Well, I, I think before we do that, it's important to note he, he gives her sort of a drink. She has to drink nightshade, mm. or, or or it's called, I guess, shade of the evening, um, which is kind of a cooler way of saying nightshade. But she pulls it off a tray of this dwarf, and at first, it didn't seem like the dwarf had any like agency or moved. Like he's holding this tray, but you don't know if he's alive. I thought he was more like a stone kind of gargoyle thing. And it's only after she's walked past him that he like moves or does something. So I'm like, oh, okay, it's just a small person. Um, I wasn't sure because I was thinking they were introducing a whole new race of beings, um, you know, actual dwarves in Westeros. I'm glad they didn't, but it was a small thing I thought was worth mentioning. But another thing that Piapri tells her is that this house was not made for mortal men. The House of the Undying was not made for mortal men. And I thought that was interesting. It's an interesting characterization of this house that somehow either in its layout or its um like what it's made out of, it was somehow meant to serve a different type of of, of being. Um, And so immediately it kind of like sets the mood, right? You're very suspicious. um, You're very cautious. And so should Danny be because a lot of this happens in the dark. Well, not to mention the fact that the nightshade, uh, he says, and I feel like we kind of got a decent description of what it finally does. It it sort of, for all intents and purposes, opens her third eye is what he's saying. Yeah. So I sort of thought, okay, maybe he's giving her like a bottle of lysergic acid. Maybe she's about to trip some acid right now and just imagine everything <laughs> that she sees. Yeah. But I don't think that was the case. It's magic. It's really an empty shack. That's what it is. <laughs> yeah. It's like the, the holodeck in Star Trek TNG. Like she right. goes in and like everyone's there. Yeah. Well, it could be. And, and, and that's kind of the brilliant thing about this chapter is that uh, writing it, George – Really can, he just, he just, he's just playing because it, it either can matter or can't matter. I, either one, she could be hallucinating or it could be real. Things could be in the past, present or a possible future, a future that will never, ever, ever happen. That's what Piapri tells her that it could be, you know, all the things that never were. Um, so really it's just George kind of picking off, okay, what do I want to show them? Do I want to show them King Igon? Uh, the conqueror being being born <sighs> as a baby, oh, you know, man, just got to so cool. show, just got to show him Igon <laughs> as a as an infant child right after he was born. You know, he's just ticking off the list. Oh, do I want to show them the red wedding? I'll show them the red wedding. You know, it's just really just fun. But as a reader, you're like, this is all really cool. The description, there, sorry, the descriptors, the description that we're used to from George R. R. Martin is is consistent. But it's just still just like him just playing. He wants to, he shows us what he wants to show us, and at the end of it, we're not sure what it all means. We're sure it means something. Um, but it can or can't well, matter depending on what he. Cause he yeah, but it really doesn't. The time to write it. You understand what I'm saying, though. There's no right uh, burden for George to ever revisit any of these scenes, um, because it's kind of artfully done in a trance state. Well, you know, for Danny, I think what it really does though is it sets her up as one of the pivotal characters in this series. Not that 
that hasn't happened already with what happened in the first book. But I just think the fact that she sees all of this, whether you know it's with her actual eyes or whether it's with a third eye, however you want to interpret it, the fact that she can see all of these things about to happen or those that have already transpired, it, it basically puts her at the center of the series. And, you know, let, let's just go through what she sees. One of the first things that she comes across, and I think it's best probably just to read some of these word for word. In one room, a beautiful woman sprawled naked on the floor while four little men crawled over her. One was pumping between her thighs. Another savaged her breasts, worrying at the nipples with his red, wet mouth, tearing and chewing. See, this disturbed me. Obviously, there's the, for the obvious reasons, but I, I wonder why this might be relevant. Like, this is kind of where I'm going with, it's just kind of supposed to be savage imagery to get people a little mm. stirred. Well, to me, and, you know, obviously I, I've read five books and I've I've done my fair share of looking around the internet. To me, this is Westeros. And these are the four kings that are just completely raping her. Wow. Right oh, now. Oh, shit. Wow. My mind is blown, man. And that seems to be a pretty consistent theory amongst people who have kind of analyzed this particular uh, chapter. And it, I don't see what else it could possibly be, right? I mean, right now you have your four kings, quote unquote, and there's a massive war going on. Uh, So she's seeing a metaphor. That's pretty cool. I like that. That's, yeah. a, that's, that's a good theory. I, I do. I see the relevance. Next is what we... I think all interpret as the Red Wedding, Eric. Here's the quote from the book. Farther on, she came upon a feast of corpses. Savagely slaughtered, the feasters lay strewn across overturned chairs and hacked trestle tables, a sprawl in pools of congealing blood. Some had lost limbs, even heads. Savage limbs clutched bloody cups, wooden spoons, roast fowl, heels of bread. On a throne above them sat a dead man with the head of a wolf. He wore an iron crown and held a leg of lamb in one hand, as a king might hold a scepter, and his eyes followed Danny with mute appeal. Do you guys think that Rob Stark, like, this? That, my thought was that this is actually some sort of afterlife, that, you know, all these men who've just been killed are somehow in a state of kind of still moving around, because it looks like his eyes are following her um, as she walks past. So could this be a state of some sort of purgatory that she's somehow witnessing? Or is he dead or is he alive or what's going on? Let's talk for a second, though, about how big of a spoiler this is potentially for people who are reading the books. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I mean, I have to say that if, if I hadn't watched the show, I still would have deduced that this is a future that could have happened to Rob. Mm -hmm. This is that's who I would have imagined it. He's the young woman. But that's where he's safe, right? It could have happened. It could happen. It's, right, it's, exactly. It doesn't mean anything, the fact that you're seeing it, because you still can't set – you know, it's not like – it will happen, even though we know it will. At this point in the book, I don't, I don't see this as this is um, a vision or a dream in Danny's head. Really, like I think that we're pretty much meant to know at this point that music, music, that magic, um, and in this mysterious form that it is, is something that's real. So when I see this stuff and I and I read this stuff and we know that this place has happened and these doors and blah, blah, blah have happened. I, I see it as, I take it for face value that it's something that we just don't understand yet. One, one question I think is relevant to be asked right now is whether or not these visions are relevant to Danny alone or to everybody. And if somebody else were to be in the house of the undying right now, instead of Danny, would they be seeing the same things? Would they too be seeing young Aegon? Would they too be seeing the red wedding? Why are these important for Danny to be to be seen? And you know, would it be different to somebody else? Is this uh, obviously? I'll get into the reasons why I'm asking this a little later. But especially with Igon, there's there seem to be things that are relevant for everybody. But would it be different for somebody else? I think it goes back to what Mike has said. Uh, this this does nothing but propel Danny to the forefront of the characters in this series. Like obviously, her her role is going to be so huge, especially when you make it to the end and you see all that you could see. Mm -hmm. So I I don't know. I don't know if it's even worth you know theorizing because would Piat Pre even allow um, a non essential person into the, into the the house? You know, would he? That's true. I mean, the, inside of this, it goes on to say, I don't want to jump ahead. I just want to mention this, but. 
one of these visions go, goes on to say that, you know, we put this comment in the air for you. We led you here. Yeah. Right. So we get closure on that where we really didn't get any closure in the show as to what the point of the comment was. Well, if they had been, uh, I don't think it still answers it because if they had been the council that she was hoping for, I would agree. Oh, yeah, they put the comment there. But seeing as how it's just another vision meant to distract her um, and make her choose the wrong door, uh, it seems like, well, no, that's just yet another theory where somebody said, oh, we did that for you. But it's not really for Danny because they're not real. Those people aren't real. Knowing all of this and reading all of this and knowing what we did get to see in the show and, and just like you just said, we didn't really get to see much closure on the comment. It's just nothing but kind of scare me to think that. I hope that the show isn't doing its best to distance itself from the, in my opinion, best part of the series, which is this mysterious, fantastical, unexplained presence that is behind all of the pages, you know, that's pulling all of this together. Like, I think it's cool that it, George has written something that is so human, but also so tied up in the fates and so tied up in what we call magic. You know, I don't want to see the show go move away from that. And, and just to try and answer Eric's question from earlier, though, about would it be different, I would say so, because really, with the exception of the Red Wedding, everything that she sees in some way ties into her or her family. Yeah. Yeah, but could that just be could that just be because they were the ones who were in power for centuries upon centuries? No, I, I think it's specific to the person who is experiencing it here. Um, and let's let's talk a little bit about some more of the stuff that she sees right so she sees her her childhood home we mentioned that earlier uh but then it gets to a point where she experiences uh you know you mentioned Egan earlier and it says beyond loomed a cavernous stone hall the largest she had seen the skulls of dead dragons looked down from its walls upon a towering barb throne sat an old man in rich robes an old man with dark eyes and long silver gray hair let him be king over charred bones and cooked meat, he said to a man below him. Let him be the king of ashes. Mm. To me, that that has relevance to the story that Jamie told to Brienne in season three, right? This this was Eris Targaryen, right, who was ready to burn the city down to nothing but ashes. I, I think this is this is a discussion that's going on between King Eris and somebody who, you know, serves him. He's planning for destruction. He's he's basically saying, because he's, as Eric likes to put it, crazier than a shithouse rat, Ooh. that he, he he's willing to take all of his people with him. Yeah. Honey Badger don't give a shit. <laughs> I, I, I just think it's meant to play with us. It's meant to show some of the Targaryen backstory. And it does that in quite a cool way. And and what you just talked about a little bit, right? You, there, there's more to that where this man looked up at Danny, right? And almost as if he could see her there. And he says, there must be one more. <laughs> the oh. dragon has three heads. Aegon, he said to a woman nursing a newborn babe <sighs> in a great wooden bed. What better name for a king? Will you make a song for him? The woman asked. He has a song, the man replied. <sighs> Ooh. He is the prince that was promised, and his is the song of ice and fire. <laughs> I think that that has to trump everything else in this chapter, because yeah, I agree that having this vision brings Danny to the forefront of the series. But really, the fact that somebody has stated that Aegon's song is the song of ice and fire, it really means that this whole series, named the Song of Ice and Fire series, is about him. The last dragon king. I see that his song, though he's gonna make his own song. Yeah, he's gonna start a make your own kind of music and the Gorgon. Goron, sorry, not Gorgon. The Gorgons. Think about Gorgonites. Greetings, I am Archer. What's number two in this instance? Because I don't quite get how he jumps from having one kid to looking up at Danny and saying there must be another because there needs to be three. Like, is it kid? What is he talking about? Do we know? Is it vague intentionally? I mean, I'm sure it is. But what's he talking about? Well, who is he, first of all? I thought it was the guy from the previous scene. I thought it was the guy on the throne. I assumed it That's would be I because there didn't seem to be any description that was different. Other, I mean, he still had, he had white hair, 
graying now, but but who who other than Aegon would oh, be? Oh, I, I think I know. When Danny moved on, I bet the baby grew up, and the baby was the one. Oh, shit, this baby. I bet this baby is Jon Snow. <laughs> 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 oh, shit. Oh, shit. Oh, damn. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so Danny moves on from the throne and the crazy man. Yeah. Okay? The next thing she sees, Viserys, was her first thought the next time she paused. But a second glance told her otherwise. The man had her brother's hair, but he was taller, and his eyes were dark indigo rather than lilac. This just gets really interesting because, uh, you know, I think as was yeah. pointed out, it appears that Eris was talking to Rhaegar, right? And now... The she the scene has shifted, where Rhaegar is talking to a woman who I think we should assume to be his wife, Elia. Or and since something. she confused the man for Viserys, clearly, clearly he's not. But that's the thing. That's just it. She looks like his brother because he is, or he he looks like her brother because he is her brother. He's just her other brother, uh, Rhaegar. And Zach, I know we were talking about this earlier, but this presents an interesting situation here, right? Because we know that Aegon was the son of Rhaegar and Elia, but they don't specify – well, they don't specify it's Rhaegar, but I think we can pretty much deduce that on our own. The question is who's the woman, right, and who's the kid? Oh, gosh. So, so we're suggesting that Rhaegar maybe bedded Lyanna Stark on the side um, and could, and we may be looking at Jon Snow. But then why would the woman – ask him if he's going to name him Igon. Well, I think that's what part of what leaves it up to interpretation, right? Is sure, sure, sure. Because it's a woman nursing a newborn in a great wooden bed. If it's I mean if it's a great wooden bed, we would assume that it's his it's his wife, right? And this is their son and you know, once once the question is asked what better name for a king, there's really no response. So, I I mean, if it were me, I would assume this to be Rhaegar and his wife. But then it gets interesting afterwards, you know, as they start talking about there must be one more. The dragon has three heads. And then he went to the window, picked up a <laughs> harp, and then he started playing the Song of Ice and Fire, I think. <laughs> right on his harp. <laughs> that's, the song. that's that's how it goes. Yeah. A little birdie told me. Who's the one more? Oh, Gosh. Yeah. I want to know who the second one is. We've already said this. Um, you know, if he's thinking that this child is number one, who's number two? Like, here's, here's what I think is going on. I think he's talking about the descendants of Targaryen who have the blood of the dragon within them. Uh, I think he's talking about himself, his sister Danny being the third, and his kid, this Aegon, being, you know, the second, essentially. That he makes one, his kid makes two, and Danny would be the third. Yeah, there there must be one more. And keep in mind, this is all speculation. I mean, but ultimately, if these people are who we think they are, there that must seems be to one be the more. best. <laughs> that must be the best possible. I mean, can we? Can we? It's hard to really say because he started out as a an untrusted orphan boy, the bastard of Nedward Stark. And one day he may rise to glory as the third head of the dragon, right? I mean, this is, I mean, if we're guessing here, mm-hmm. if we're, if we're guessing along with this, and we're guessing along with all the theories that are floating in people's minds, I mean, can we assume that something like this is going to happen in the series? I mean, is that safe enough to say, or do we sound like blithering idiots right now projecting? Yeah, I wouldn't rule it out. I mean, but ultimately it's, it's, it's made intentionally vague so that we can't figure it out. This is one of those things that until after, you know, you don't really, you can't really say, Oh my God, it was so brilliantly pointed out before, you know, just like the Rob Stark thing until you know it happens, even though you're right, there are, there are indicators like the wolf, uh, being the symbol of House Stark and that you don't really know that he's going to be killed at a feast. Right. But to me, um, when it's said that there must be one more. I, I feel like that's a really strong indication that there must be one more child. Because this this is Rhaegar talking, right? There must be one more, one more of his children. But they don't mention Rhinus at all. They just, in fact, the only reason I know Rhinus exists is because I'm staring at a timeline right now. 
again, <laughs> we know Danny has three dragons, and she's not yes. going to ride all three of them at the same time. So who are the other two <laughs> that are going to sit atop them? That's a good question. Do they need I think somebody? I know. Oh yeah, I think I know. I, I think always I imagine them flying alone. <laughs> you know, she'll she'll jump from one to the <laughs> That's other. That's just the easy way out, Eric. No, no, no. Look, I mean, do you think that she can trust anybody else with the dragons? I mean, I don't, I don't think she's gonna have a choice. And I think the only person's will that they would listen to would be Danny. She's their mom. You know, it's difficult to theorize any of this, especially you know being at my point in the story, because of course I want to just read on and know everything, the same as all of you listening do, and the same as Micah and Selena. Damn, I hate rules and stuff. Like, I, I, I would love to be able to, with great knowledge, theorize and discuss the situation. But, you know, there's only so much you can do without just grasping smoke with your bare hands. <laughs> <laughs> now, here's a little bit of prophecy uh, when she does move on yet again. And this, I thought, particularly is relevant to the three heads of the dragon. She is advised, and I forget exactly which room this is in, but she is advised... Three fires you must, or sorry, three fires must you light, one for life, and one for death, and one for love. Uh, also, three mounts that she must ride. They give their reasons. Also, three treasons you will know, once for blood, once for gold, and once for love. Again, this ties back to what I was saying about it being biblical, right? Uh, such as the um, the betrayal uh, is is told to Jesus before it happens. Or he predicts it actually to his congregation. But here's here's the thing: like she's being told that she will be betrayed three times, and kind of the motivations behind it, and that she's going to have to light some fires. I assume that means war uh, three times, and probably three times alone. So they're basically, if you're going to take this as meaning something, it's actually extremely useful information uh, that is given to Danny right here. And I think we had one of our answers given it to us, the, the blood treason, um, directly after her seeing the sight of Viserys having the golden crown poured atop him. I mean, can we assume that that was the treason of blood? Quite possibly. Um, because he, he betrayed his own sister. So there you go. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that that's possible. I also think that, you know, treason as it relates to blood could be a Miri Mazador when she kills Danny's child. Yes. Yes. I mean, I think it is clear based on the scene in the the final room um, with these where she believes she meets the undying. It seems like they really just brought her there to sap her power, um, that she was never meant to leave. That's the impression I got. What do you guys think? I mean, her, her, the, the directions given to her were cryptic, but, you know, midway through her experience, she realizes that the door that's furthest to her right, as right as you can go, is really the door that's furthest on the left. And that's when she started to discover the actual way out of this place. So I think it's clear that she was being misled from the beginning. Mm. I mean, in this room with this heart, though, she begins to grow more and more numb. And these creatures are coming closer and closer to her and she can't move. And I think they're going to devour her. You know, these, these definitely, she's been warned a hundred times before that these, um, magi, these wizards are all untrustworthy and are going to try and do exactly this sort of thing. I don't think she was ever meant to leave there alive. I think they were just trying to sap whatever power it is that, that's got coursing through her, her veins that made dragons come into the world again. They wanted that. And I think that's the whole reason she was even here. Um, I don't think she was supposed to make it out of that room alive, you know, and, and, and if Drogon hadn't saved her by tearing at the heart in the middle of the room, I think she would have died. I think they would have, uh, taken all of her life force from her. Yeah. I, I think that that's accurate. And it's weird because you have this juxtaposition going on, right? Where on one side, everything is really alive. And then you go through that door to the right. And then all of a sudden, you get to see what's kind of going on behind the scenes, right? It's a complete polar opposite. I I can't remember where else I've seen it, uh, it but you know you you understand what I'm saying, right? There's this one room where everybody is basically lifeless and dying, and there's that pulsating heart at the top. But yet the room next door, it's it's a complete mirage, right? It's it's not really what's happening. You only did she 
was she able to see the truth when she walked through that door where she really wasn't supposed to go through? Yeah, they weren't too happy because when she first saw the undying ones, which we can assume that that's what these people were meant to represent, you know, they were they were garbed in gemstones and beautiful armor and cloth and had one of the best prettiest breaths or breaths <laughs> George describes as ever that's ever been made that has ever created. It is uh, as on perfect a, as a breast can yeah. be. Right? My, my point is everything was so perfect and good. But yeah, like Mike, I said, once you go behind the curtain, these same beings were there, but they were so dead and it was a leathery nipple and it was bad. And the dress was <laughs> rotted and nothing was good about it. This one, this, this, I, I kind of want to call it a fervor or a fever pitch or something. For some reason, I keep thinking of the gym leader Blaine and his crazy fire gym and how all this scary shit was happening in his gym. And I don't know why I kept thinking of it when I was reading this, but it seemed it seemed to be relevant to me. I don't Beware know if it actually is. But I mean, not to unite two things of fire, but, you know, just past the Viserys bit, we do get to see a tall lord with copper gold skin and silvery hair stood beneath the banner of a fiery stallion. A burning city behind him. Rubies flew like drops of blood from the chest of a dying prince. And he sat to his knees in the water with his last breath, murmured a woman's name. Mother of dragons, daughter of death. What's, well, I want to know what the name was, though. Oh, Liana. Liana. <laughs> That's what I think it was, yeah. I Yeah, I, I agree. Probably what you're looking at in the the part with the tall lord with copper gold skin and silvery hair is probably her son as he would have been if he had lived absolutely if he's under the banner of a fiery stallion and a, a city behind him i can assume that's uh what was his name again rago rago uh, yeah yeah rising to power and these are all people who have died so she's seeing rago's future death as it would have been that's kind of cool well she's seeing him as he would have been and then i think it the next part of that transitions to Rhaegar because didn't he die at the Ruby Ford? He did. And I, that's, that's what I saw in this scene. I went, when I thought of this and I, and I thought of the name Liana being muttered, I was like, okay, it was very interestingly connected though, because you know, on, on first pass through, you're kind of wondering, I'm thinking there's not a fiery stallion in the banner of a Targaryen. So there's some modification here. But then if you think, um, you know, Danny was meant to have a son and that could have very easily filled that position. Oh, and I see his separate image is his dying prince. Okay, I got it. And then we move on to glowing like sunset. A red sword was raised in the hand of a blue eyed king who cast no shadow. A cloth dragon swayed on poles amid a cheering crowd. From a stone tower, a great stone beast took wing, breaking shadow fire. Mother Breathing. of dragons. What I say? Breaking. Oh, breathing shadow fire, mother of dragons, slayer of lies. Oh, let's just revisit that for one second, okay? A red sword was raised in the hand of a blue-eyed king. <laughs> Who okay. casts no shadow. Now, have we held mm -hmm. a mirror up to the White Walkers yet? <laughs> have we, do we know if they don't cast a shadow? Because that would be creepy if they didn't. Who would cheer a cloth dragon being paraded around in a funnily matter? Who knows? From a stone tower, a great stone beast took wing, breathing shadow fire. Let's get real here. Shadow fire. That's not the kind of fire you want to mess with. Definitely not. The first thing that came to my mind was Stannis. Oh, shit. Well, there's that. Yep. His shadow's off doing something else, and he's holding his red sword. Jesus, that's so obvious. But why would he? Why would his banner be a dragon and not a stag or not a, a red heart? It's not. A, the, the cloth dragon is not. A, is, is a, it's kind of like a... Uh, it's kind of like a jest, essentially, from what I see. Yeah, um, it's fake, basically. What this appears to be is a vision of the future of Stannis' victory, even over Danny. He's got cloth dragon kind of just like being paraded around and it's a joke. But instead of, you know, the conventional Drogon-esque dragon, we're seeing a great stone beast taking flight that's breathing shadow fire. Oh. This is the negative magic. And the red sword is obviously the sword of his sword. Yeah, Lightbringer. He's casting no shadow because his shadow's do off doing, you know, some of its own business. So at the, the whispers at the end of this vision when it says Mother of Dragon, Slayer of Lies... I think the message is you need to stop this because that's bullshit. <laughs> that that's is not the bull. future. That's that, the lie you need to slay. Yeah, that he's not really Azor Ahai, right? 
Absolutely. Because that's what Melisandre has been telling him this whole time, that he he's the one who's been promised, right? But to Zach's point, she's going to prove that he's actually not. Switching back up to that above quote, though, I kind of see what the voice was doing here when it was talking about um, the Ruby Ford when it said mother of dragons, daughter of death. Obviously, it's her father dying in the Ford. Correct, boys? Now, that is interesting. And of course, the Slayer of Lies with the red sword being raised. That's very interesting. But I think that this third passage here is even more titillating, if I can say that. You just did. Okay. Does anyone want to read it? Because I just want to sit and look at it now that I All understand right, things it. clearly. Her silver was trotting through the glass to a or grass, depending on <laughs> what book you read, to a darkling stream beneath the sea of stars. Oh, a corpse stood at the prow of a ship, eyes bright on his dead face, gray lips smiling sadly. A blue flower grew from a chink in a wall of ice and filled the air with sweetness. Mother of dragons, bride of death. Mm. Bride of death. Is she going to marry a White Walker? No, she's not going to marry. Am I the only one who thinks that that's what that means? See, I don't even want... I can't look at this and theorize out loud. Like, everything's in my head. Go for it. Uh, it's it's hard to say, you know? Because I, I immediately think of... Obviously, this is about who she's going to marry. <laughs> because the other one's daughter of death, slayer of lies. She's going to stop Stannis. And this these kind of all tie... Or some of them tie into those passages that Eric read earlier, you know, where... They're talking about love and betrayal and all those sorts of things. This corpse is standing on a ship. We know Drogo, or sorry, Cal Drogo doesn't like ships, um, but he is smiling sadly. Uh, of course, it's not Drogo. He's dead. Well, I would think, but it's a corpse. This is a corpse that we're looking at here. Yeah, but I think Zach is right. The first part of it, you know, is is her her riding that the the horse that she was given by Drogo through the grass to the place where they first got it on so to speak mm -hmm. a darkling stream beneath the sea of so that's drogo right but then eric you brought up a corpse stood at the prow of a ship eyes bright on his dead face so it's a separate image gray lips smiling sadly a blue flower grew from the chink right these are all they're all separate i think they refer to three different people the question is who are the latter two and who's the flower that's interesting to me if when i was reading this with 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 the ship right I don't think that George unmistakably put the word gray in there because smiling sadly, right? Isn't there a certain joy to smiling sadly? Maybe not. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what you're talking about. I see what you're saying. <laughs> I will say this, uh, Zach, to, to wrap up this quote, there's a quote from Game of Thrones. Okay. It says, promise me, Ned. Lyanna's statue whispered. She wore a garland of pale blue roses, and her eyes wept blood. I think we're getting to the point where we can probably confirm the fact, even though it hasn't been confirmed at all in the books, that Jon Snow is the son of Lyanna Stark. I don't I mean, see if it. it's any indication with the blue flower growing from the wall of ice and one of our favorite characters being beyond and stationed and his life basically revolving around this wall of ice, yeah. I think... It's pointing in that direction at the very least. I think so too. And I think that this also hints potentially at something happening between Jon Snow and Daenerys. Later see, on I, was, I was wondering that. And, you know, when it says Bride of Death, that's why I didn't want to speculate too hard. And that's why it's exciting to read because you're like, oh, snap. But then it's like, oh, everyone she marries ends up dead. <laughs> right. <laughs> I just thought, you know, I'm going to play it safe and just, you know, it's, it's, it's referring to the, the first part of this quote, and it's not referring to her, her future marriage. Maybe it's referring to the fact that she did already marry and that person is dead. You know, she's married to someone that's dead. So I don't know. I mean, if that's a possibility, then, I mean, that would be very cool to see two separated characters so much. And it's always been laughed about and joked about. But, uh, you know, now that you see canon prophecy where even a bit of it can be construed, you can understand so much of how there's basically tomes and volumes written on the Internet by a lot of you listeners even, um, you know, referring to situations like this. Okay. And then things kind of pick up. They go a little bit more quickly, right? I mean, she has all these next series of visions very rapidly. 
Let's see if we can identify what these well, are. Well, these these we've actually read, I feel like. So it should be... Most of them. Most of them. I can't think of at least one of them, but... Uh, Shadow's World of Dance Inside a Tent, Boneless and Terrible. Okay. The death of uh, her son, or being born. I've seen others suggest potentially that that could be what happens to Renly, um, or it could be referencing Ooh. Renly's death. Um, but I agree. I think it's what's happened the night that uh, Miriam Mazdor killed her child or I, well that's a whole nother debate we don't need to get into right now but uh, a little girl ran barefoot toward a big house with a red door i think that's her grasping in her childhood correct yeah i think and we saw kind of a scene like this earlier miriam Ma's door shrieked in the flames a dragon bursting from her brow now that's interesting <laughs> just because of where the dragon's coming from not from an egg it's like zeus and athena essentially if you yeah. Follow certain lines. For sure. Or it could There's be many from theories. The, the flames since her brow is on fire or something like that. Yeah, or even that magic is being reborn, right? We we see Miri as being sort of this catalyst. Yeah. Mm. Like the, the ignition in the fire, essentially. Yeah. Uh, behind a silver horse, the bloody corpse of a man bounced and dragged. Oh, Drogo. I, I thought about the guy who tried to poison her, and they dragged him behind. Right. Yeah, but, no, but my I mind think went Drogo, to that. I think Drogo is interesting, though. I like that. I well, I, I actually, I may have misplaced it because he, he was on the saddle. He was just falling off the saddle. So I don't think he's bouncing and dragging behind the horse as much as he was just kind of slumped, you know, sliding off while on top. So I, it could be the other guy. A white lion ran through grass taller than a man. Mm, now, this I, I don't lions. know. This is the one I don't, I don't The know. fact that the lion is almost made to be small because it says grass taller than a man or the the fact that a lion is running through grass taller than a man, I mean, that makes me think of Tyrion. Oh, absolutely. And I think of ghost grass and about how dangerous a place like that could be. Yeah. And it's not just a regular lion. It's a white lion. He's a good one. Pure. He's a good lion. <laughs> He's a good lion. <laughs> he was a good lion. Uh, beneath the mother of mountains, a line of naked crones crept from a great lake and knelt shivering before her gray heads bowed. Danny's going to command some respect from the old, what were they? Well, the old crones, right? The former Kalisar or former uh, Khaleesi's? Well, I mean, the Mother of Mountains would be probably referring to the actual Mother of Mountains nearby Vyas Othrak. Mm. And I'm assuming that the crones would indicate the crones that were actually in that city itself. Yeah. You know, the crones that were sent back and they're meant to kind of wither together because that's their place. But yeah, yeah that, that reminded me, though, of book one when... You know, she they proclaim that she has the stallion that will mount the world inside of her. Remember, there's that whole scene where she goes into the water. And so I, I think it's more of a of a flashback than a flash forward. Yeah, this this one probably is is more existential than it is reality. I mean, as all of these are. But e but even so, like with the last quote, we can kind of gathered that this is a smaller lion inside of um, some grass. He's being enveloped. But this one, um, you know, especially with the geography, I think that it's pretty clear that it's pointing back to a moment like that and saying that she's meant for so much more than a future of being with these crones. Yeah. And Eric, I'll let you read the last uh, quote. He the last one her. is, <laughs> this one I, I think I have an idea of where and when it might happen. Um, 10,000 slaves. <laughs> 10,000 slaves lifted blood-stained hands as she raced by on her silver, riding like the wind. Mother, they cried. Mother, Misa. mother. Misa, Misa. Misa. <laughs> I don't know when that'll happen, guys. It's the Jar Jar Binks mashup. It's the moment. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. Listen, I'm still confused. I don't know if and when that'll ever happen. Uh, she's going to free some slaves. <laughs> all right, you keep your theories to yourself. Okay, there. <laughs> I'm gonna keep my theory. But why is she seeing all this? If I mean, again, my theory is that the whole reason these people have brought her here is to completely drain her power. So the fact that she escapes with her life obviously may give her some insight. I hope she. I hope it's not like an amnesia sequence where she actually remembers what she has seen here, and it helps her influence her decisions in the future. I hope it goes back to this. You know, these visions, but. You know, I simultaneously, I think that these images will help her in her future and that she was never supposed to leave this place alive. 
So does that that doesn't add up necessarily? Well, I mean, I definitely think that the fires, the mounts, and the treasons are going to be something that she looks back to in reference when she's making decisions. I do. Yeah, I mean, they tell her you'll have three, you'll have three. So as long as she's keeping count, she really shouldn't find many surprises in her future. It's hard to say. I mean, it's 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 speculation and it's fantastical, and you know, the chapter didn't really leave us with much. She basically makes her way out of a final door and finds herself in the place where she began. She's back in sunlight and Pyat Pri is dancing, you know, kind of casting spells with his little spell blade, his dagger with plus 18,000 intellect. Like he's got a lot of power, but then she hears the welcome sound of Ricaro's whip taking the dagger and tackling him to the ground. And it leaves us kind of cliffhanging, don't you think, right at the end of the chapter? My biggest question and why it's a cliffhanger to me is how did Ricaro and, uh, Jorah find the exit to this building. Well, I think she, it put her back outside is what happened. Yeah, but like the entrance isn't – or the exit's not the same as the entrance is what he said the first time, right? He's just like – Pyat Pri's in a courtyard with a knife because I don't think she was ever supposed to leave alive. And he lunges at her. Unfortunately, you know, Jorah and Raikaro have found wherever it is that she came out. Um, but I think they probably had to search for it. Like maybe they were – and depending on how long she was in there, they may have Hours. been searching for it for a while. You know, but they do find her in the nick of time, and and I guess the chapter closes with a hand around her shoulder, which is mm. comforting. But yeah, I definitely don't think she was ever supposed to leave, and that's why Pyat pre attacks her. But then, and because he just she set the place on fire, he's crazy, um, and killed all of the undying. Well, she she killed presumably killed all the undying if they can die, and that, ladies and gentlemen, is the moral of the story: is why you should never become decrepit because all the moisture leaves your body and you're just that mm -hmm. much more flammable. So just don't do it. Just stay don't alive. Don't do it. Say no to being – just stay hydrated. That will keep you – Stay hydrated. Yeah. That will fix a few H2O, things. H2O, everybody. This yeah, was Adam's one family. hell of a chapter. That's all it I really have to was. say. I think it drained all of us. It's rough. I know this is probably going to end up being a longer Monday episode, but – you know, obviously we're speculating and Eric and I are both very unsullied and reading a chapter like this is exciting because I feel like this is a great step forward in the series for us. This is a great bit of real ice and fire lore. You know, yeah, I really totally feel like we've different from the show. pushed I had, forward. Uh, yeah. no, going into this, Zach, I had no idea. I mean, Mike has said, but I was like, how different could it be? But actually, really, it's just completely it's way different. different. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's just way different. Even for me, though, even for me going back and reading some of this stuff and – you know, I don't, I don't have all the answers and, you know, it, what's fun about it is I can theorize just like you guys because a lot of this stuff, while some of it has come to be, we still don't have the answers. I mean, we're still talking about things like, you know, who are Jon Snow's parents? What's the, what's the connection here back to Rhaegar and, and his children? And what does this all mean for the future? And who are going to be, you know, the other two people that ride the dragons? with Danny into battle if that's what's to come. I mean, we're we're I'm five books in and I don't have all those answers and I think it's you know, it's fun just to have those conversations. Yeah, I know, and I, I'm sure that we are so hilariously wrong on so many things, especially like for me, literally reading the chapter minutes before we press the record button. So be nice in the comments, please, because I'm <laughs> oh, sure, I'm sure it's gonna be fun. gonna be terrible. Yeah. So no. please I will revisit much of this and I will this chapter will be something that I go back and look on and it's gonna be exciting to move forward with this kind of knowledge. Can I say really, something on that be. though? I mean because I, I think we're we're all in agreement here that we do we do read the comments, we read the emails, we read the tweets, Facebook, all that fun stuff. And I mean, I, I always thought, like, even when we did MuggleCast, it's important to say that, you know, we're not perfect with all this stuff. And part of what makes what we do so much fun is hearing back from all of the people who listen to the show. Because as much as we may want to smack ourselves in the head when we make a mistake, the reality yeah. is we will make mistakes. And, you know, that's that's the great part of you guys being there is to chime in and to say, hey, by the way, or you might have missed – and I know I'm being a little bit kind uh, in the way that I'm presenting that because I know that sometimes we don't always get uh, have it phrased that way. Um, but you know, I, I just I just wanted to throw that out there. No, it's it's important to remember we're human. And, we're not robots. Well, I think. Well, you Eric, know, speak for yourself. One thing, Eric can, is definitely a robot. Sorry, Eric. Go yeah. ahead. Complete your prime directive, sir. One thing I think. One thing I think that everybody can your positronic power source, Eric Skull, is that Drogon owned this chapter. Drogon, by yes. saving Danny's life, by tearing at the flesh of the heart, 
And not only that, but by uh, premiering his favorite, his flamethrower action. You know, he's now reached that level where he can... It's not just Ember anymore, it's flamethrower. And he has got it and is using it. And so Drogon uh, absolutely gets my own for this chapter, if anybody was wondering. I was wondering. I'm I'm glad to know that. I'm very very glad to know that. I'm wondering what your guys' owns are. Yeah, what about you guys? Eric or Micah, please save me from a dastardly hell and do yours next. I actually was going to. Now don't don't you know fall off your seat. I was going to agree with Eric. I think, <laughs> I think Drogon gets the the own of this chapter just because he rips that heart to shreds and he saves Danny. He was he was the Navi, um, accompanying yep. Danny throughout the. Uh, God, what, what a temp- better What Navi. temple would that be? The Shadow Temple? This has got to be a weird, twisted version of the Shadow Temple and the Spirit Temple together. And the I Fire Temple. I just can't temple. reconcile the idea of Micah that I have in my mind as also a Zelda gamer. I don't get it. I don't match up. They don't match. He's been making Zelda references for like five episodes now. It's a new thing. <laughs> but I'm like, man, he played Zelda. I just can't figure it out. I don't I'm get it. I'm thinking of like Micah fighting Bongo Bongo in the Shadow Temple, like getting the strat down. <laughs> It's really good. Bongo like Bongo? It. Wasn't that from like, uh, what was the word? Banjo-Kazooie? Oh, uh, I don't know. You're no, thinking of Bongo Gruntilda, Bongo is definitely Witch? in the Shadow Temple. Yeah, yeah he's yeah, definitely yeah. in the Shadow Temple. I hate his song. I play all the Zelda music on my guitar. Anyway, so <laughs> uh, before I start talking about that too much, I do want to say that my own of the chapter will go to the heroine, and that is Daenerys. And I know you might not like it, Eric, but Daenerys Stormborn of House Targaryen, she made her way through this place, which could have been probably the most fucked up haunted house of all time. Yeah. You know what I mean? Let's be real. Let's be real. She didn't stop. She was getting groped in places that are naughty by terrible, weird, dry mouth zombies. Mm -hmm. And she made her way through it. I almost gave it to Pyat Pri for actually having some kind of magic or something, or at least having sweet moves with a dagger and ankles. So it was, it was a close second place to Pyat Pri, AKA Captain Creepy Face. Fair enough. Fair enough. A.K.A. guy who is much cooler in the book than he is the show. A.K.A. stuff in the book that is so much better than the show. Ah, I'm so mad. I want to know where her dragons are now in the books. Like, are they, <sighs> they're just chilling. They didn't go anywhere. Like, that's anticlimactic. Where are the I'm other so two mad. dragons? What are they doing? They took so the mad. night off. They were smart, actually. Yeah. So finally that we've reached this point in the book, and I know there's going to be even more like this moving forward, we welcome you to write us and tell us your thoughts. Because at this point and up to this far in the canon, we are and will remain unsullied. You know how to send those things. Eric is really great at telling you about it, and it's a great way for me to transition into it as well. Visit us on twitter.com slash gameofowns and at reply us at gameofowns every time. You come across in your read-throughs a cool own. Could be from any chapter. We'd love it if it were the chapters that we're currently going through, though. And like I said, just a tweet, compose a tweet little, uh, 120 characters or less, that sort of thing. Uh, if that sort of thing is not your bag, and if you require a little bit more word space to submit what you think it was just cool that just happened, you can email us. Our email address is contact at gameofowns.com. Send us your emails, and also you know, just let us know what you're doing. You know, chill. If you have a life phone or something, <laughs> yeah, you have a life phone. We'd love to read that. We read some of those on the show occasionally. Occasionally, uh, occasionally, occasionally. Well, uh, <laughs> I will point out that our good friend Pluisa did send us an own on both Twitter and Facebook, so she wow. doesn't mess around, and she agrees with both Eric and myself. Drogon. Owns for tearing at the heart and firing up the undying. No one messes with his mother. It's true. He's like, I see what you're doing here. <laughs> yeah, this is, this is, I didn't drink any of that. I am totally sober yeah, right now. That's the thing. I wonder what Drogon <laughs> sees through this whole thing. It's just a bunch <laughs> he of like. He just sees Danny just like stumbling around. Like, <laughs> freaking <going>? out. <laughs> <laughs> through Drogon's eyes. He's like, what? Uh, maybe he can see it though, because he's, he's a dragon. Drunk again. Uh, well, he did fly <laughs> up into that rafters in the one. Uh, he the did one attack the heart, so come on now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Come on now. And uh, we did get a very humorous tweet here from Kendra Manny Griffey, who uh, let us know that we all owned her with a Phil Collins earworm. <laughs> Hashtag oh, get out God. of my head. 
I can feel it. Oh, Lord. So we apologize. We do apologize. Sorry about that earworm. You should get that checked sorry, out. Sorry, we're not sorry. We're now currently preparing our bodies for the oncoming storm of tweets and emails in response to this chapter. And we're going to go ahead and leave the stack that we already have at bay because Wednesday, hump day, will be a day to revisit your thoughts. And it will be a day for a brand new chapter, I hear. Mm-hmm. It is Tyrion. And there may be a dragon the or white two mentioned. <laughs> there may be a dragon or two and a white lion in that chapter. You never know. You're you just going to have to catch, don't follow know. along. This is the rich and fertile part of this book. And you know we're like uh, 720 pages in right now in the series. I can't believe that. I looked at the book. I opened the chapter. I actually read it rather than listening to the audiobook because I wanted to get these very specific descriptors in this Danny chapter. And I realized it's almost seven. It's over 700 pages in. I can't believe it. This book is massive. It is. But we'll continue that on Wednesday. Yeah, and we will also read some of your reviews on iTunes. We got uh, some really good ones in here, actually, uh, in the month of November from uh, Kentastic, P.T. Manderley, and Big Bucket Wool. So, oh, yeah. Um, I'm, I'm very excited to hear from Big Bucket. Me too. I, I, can I just say that, for the most part, the usernames of our listeners transcend and destroy the usernames of any other kind of listener in the known universe. Yes, I would agree with that. So until then, my friends, stay away from any sort of palace of dust and stay near a fresh water source if you would like, as long as there's a speaker that you can listen to our show. And on cue, that's my train, guys. (laughs) Well, enjoy your train, Eric. See you, everybody, on Wednesday. I'm Eric Skull. I'm Micah Tannenbaum. I'm Zach Lutie. Louie. 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 Luau. Zach Luau. Oh, yeah. We got to go. <laughs> no, we got to go. Yeah, we got to go. All right. Bye-bye. get uh, one second break a wasp just landed on my head one second sorry (laughs) one second fuck fuck (laughs) that shows remarkable composure can we talk about how well composed zach is like i'd just be like i would have expected to hear the bang like ages ago It's behind you. <laughs> Aha! Die, you evil! <laughs> Aha! All right. Beast has been slain. Headphones in. I'm sorry. Go ahead. That I'm allergic to them. That's why I freaked out. Yeah, I don't blame you. I'm sure. Like I said, I wouldn't have been there sitting going, pardon me, gentlemen. Do you mind if I take a moment here to slaughter this thing? I would have been like, fuck, what the fuck? Like, what's it even a wasp doing? It's November. It's the middle of November.